What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson, and back with our Funding Lab mini-series, my co-host Josh Soloway and I are talking to Jack, John, and Phil. It's not enough to simply have a meeting or have a, have coffee with somebody and talk about it and then hope that the person is going to call. They need to follow up and show some appreciation for the prospective investors. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, we want to invite you to get involved in the charity our founders helped start called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the U.S. and globally. The top project you could help with now is in Cusco, Peru. There are 20 girls that the local government rescued but didn't have anywhere to keep them safe, so they put them in jail. The government has said that they're willing to give custody of these kids to the aftercare facility we're helping to expand now once we raise enough money and build an extra building there. To learn more, please click on the Child Rescue tab on our website, which is iCollective.co. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Jack, when we were talking yesterday about all the things that you guys have done and the way you're iterating and and how you're not just using one methodology, you're trying to pick and choose, cherry pick to, to help these entrepreneurs. I think one of the things a lot of people want to know about is um, what really are the hot button items for investors? You know, they, they get so much conflicting advice about if you can just show this kind of traction or if you just show this type of... Um, market size. These are the things that are really going to get the investor uh, to want to want to commit. And obviously, it's a combination of things. But in your mind, what are what does the reality look different compared to what a lot of entrepreneurs think is going to get the money? Great question, because most you're right. Most entrepreneurs think they uh, that investors are primarily focused on traction and and uh, and business related things. In my experience, what the investors focus on first is the people involved. And it includes both uh, an evaluation of what the people are like on a personal basis and whether, whether the, uh, the investor thinks he can, he can get along with the, uh, the person on a long-term basis, as well as, of course, the intelligence and uh, uh, skills and and you know the competence that that the investor sees in the person. It's very much, especially at the beginning, a person-based uh, evaluation. I think a lot of people miss that. Uh, and and at the same time, in missing that, they miss the notion that the first step in getting investment is to create a relation, is to create a relationship, to establish the rapport. To find out a little bit more about the investor and their and the investor's background, so they know what the investor's hot buttons really are. There's some some VCs that 
have a very a strict protocol. They're looking for particular things. Um, when I say VCs, I'm including, um, you know, funds. In in uh, the startup area, though, it's not just the funds who are investing. It's it's a lot of angel and seed investors, which are people, and they want to know that the 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 what the man or woman that they're putting their money behind really cares about what they're doing and that they're going to be able to get along with them. They look at the passion that the person is bringing to the table because without passion, it's not going to go anywhere. When, they, when, the, going, when, the, when the going gets tough, the, uh, some entrepreneurs will quit. And that's the last thing an investor wants to hear. So that's, that's I think that's a, Maybe that's a little bit of a general comment, but I think a lot of startup founders overlook that. When you think about how to um, cultivate that, whether it's books like, whether it's books like uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People or these kind of things, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs to work on that skill? The, the first bit of advice is to um, take every meeting with everybody. Because you never know where an investor is going to come from. Uh, some some uh, entrepreneurs think that they should be focused on people that they think have the money and are most going to be most interested in our business. You never know where the investors are coming from. And, and I think that that's the first thing they have to do. Secondly, they need to communicate with prospective investors. It's not enough to simply have a meeting or have a, have coffee with somebody and talk about it and then hope that the person is going to call. They need to follow up and show some appreciation for the prospective investor's interest. So many company founders um, don't take the time to write thank you notes. Uh, and just uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to be giving away a Boomtown trade secrets here, but one of the things that we do is we have a, a weekly, um, what we call a housekeeping meeting, where company founders are writing thank you notes and figuring out ways to better connect with people that can help them in their business, whether they're investors or people that have resources that they need and so on. Uh, and we found it to be very effective. It starts with the personal side. I love that. I have to tell you, Jack, I love that because it absolutely starts with the personal side. Everybody, money is the ultimate commodity, right? So the fact of the matter is money's just look out there. Any investors, they're looking for a return and, and, and the numbers are always going to have to make sense and all that. But inevitably, as a, as a company, you want to have the right investors. Especially, it seems if they're individuals, right? And if you're and if you're private and very intimately involved, and the value that these investors can bring uh, beyond just the money should be really evident to the management team in that they can open up doors to other investors, they can give you some guidance because these people are generally, I would imagine, successful entrepreneurs and, and business people and investors in their own right. Yeah, that's a great, great point. I think about uh, when you made that comment, I was thinking about a line from uh, that Michael Douglas said in, in Wall Street, where he um, basically lost everything. He was telling his wife that uh, 
You know, there are oceans of money, he referred to it, but that's never the issue. And uh, I, I really think that's true. The, the importance of having the right investor can't be uh, overemphasized. A lot of startups don't do much due diligence on the person that they, uh, who's offering them money. And it's a mistake because that, as you pointed out, Josh, it's not just the initial investment that's important, it's what comes afterwards. Uh, whether it be introductions to new investors, um, help in specific areas that, uh, where help is needed, guidance on um, accessing resources that are useful and all those things. And it all starts with that initial relationship and ability to get along. Can you, can you give us an example uh, where you've seen that, um, that really benefit a company that you've been involved with, whether Boomtown or elsewhere? And perhaps even <laughs> if you could think of a horror story, you know, maybe that's useful too. Well, I can tell you about a horse. I can tell you lots of horror stories because uh, those unfortunately seem to happen a lot where you have someone investing and there's a mismatch. I've got a situation right now where the, the company accepted, um, I guess about, uh, it was a, they did an initial convertible note offering, a promissory note that converts into equity upon the sale of stock after the initial um, convertible note closing. The, there was no communication with the investor. The note was due in two years. Typically, you know, another financing can get done. Sometimes companies really don't need the, uh, the money right away and want to put it off. And that, you know, a stock offering, an equity offering. Uh, sometimes people can't raise money. Most of the time, with these convertible notes, they will the investor will um, just agree to extend it. But in this particular case, there was no communication. The investor didn't know what was going on. They didn't know the ups or downs or anything else. So the note became came due. So what do you think happened? Was it extended? No. You've got a company that it was making great progress, but the note wasn't extended. And now you've got a situation where the investor has the right, because he has a note, to get, he has the right to get a judgment and execute it on that judgment by taking all the assets of the company. That's a disaster. And at that oh. point, the company has some value. Uh, and when you see seen that happen, and unfortunately, um, I get involved in, in fixing a lot of, of problems. Um, when you see that happen, um, you real and you realize that it could have been avoided had there been some communication going on at the beginning and on an ongoing basis. And if the if the company had chosen the investor a little more carefully, you realize um, it's not just a matter of just getting the money and moving on. You got to really have you got to keep keep that going. I can see that. That's certainly, uh, it's always easy to easier to remember the horror stories, as you said. Sometimes it seems the right investor is one where it's like a black swan, right, in a positive sense, in that yeah. you just yeah. don't even notice. Yeah. On the, on the plus side are the situations where the investor likes the business, puts a little money into it, there's close communication, there are conversations about uh, and, and requests for advice and counsel along the way. Investors kept not only informed, but he's 
He's asked to participate in, in board meetings and decision-making for the company. The company reaches out about everything. Uh, every twist and turn informs the investor when, they're, when bad things happen, uh, as well as good things. And uh, then there's a little hiccup in the business, and some more money is, is needed to keep it going. Well, who do you think has the most interest in doing it? It's that investor that's been, a, been along for the ride. He knows sure. what's, what's going on. And so he's more than willing to say, hey, here's another $100,000. Keep it going. You're doing a great job. And I've seen that happen a lot. And it all, it's all based on the personal relationship and the uh, very proactive involvement that the founders have have pursued with the investor. What, you know, we're just taking a step back here. Um, we've kind of talked around it a bit, I guess, in different ways or different elements of it. Can you take us through the experience of a typical company coming into Boomtown, uh, you know, sort of start to finish? What does it look like from application uh, to uh, acceptance to the program to graduating out? And, and you know, what, what does that sort of look like? I'm sure it's different all the time. But, but just for anybody thinking about uh, Boomtown and any other accelerator, what does that journey look like? All right. Well, the, the, the journey through an accelerator starts with, um, with an application. And, you know, the application, it, it's typically, a, you know, a, it can either be a group of people that have an idea and haven't really gotten organized as a company. It can be a company that has a million dollars in revenues and is looking for something different, wants to go to the next level. Um, they know about accelerators from somewhere and they're typically out there looking at all of them. It's a real industry now. So they've got a big choice. So they go out and they, they read about them, decide on an accelerator and then make application. It, the application's open to anybody highly selective boomtown gets about 400 applications and and chooses uh 10 or 11 companies so you end up with an acceptance rate that's um it's harder to get into boomtown let's put it that way than it is to get into harvard um application rates being you know around one percent maybe a, maybe three percent the um after the company is accepted, then they're turned over to me as general counsel and co-founder of Boomtown to onboard them. Onboard, onboard meaning, means making sure that they're organized in a way, corporately and legally, so that at the end of the program, they're in a position to actually accept an investment. So for those companies that are not incorporated, I make sure they're connected to a, a lawyer who can do that for them. Some people already have a lawyer, some people need recommendations. And the recommendations that I provide go from um, the, some of the larger firms to some smaller practitioners, but all of those people who I would recommend have experience in the startup space. It's a huge mistake for a company to use a lawyer that um, isn't aware of the uh, of what people are looking for who are investing. Uh, even very good corporate lawyers, very experienced corporate lawyers that have uh, many, many um, 
transactions under their belt, don't know how startups really work and don't know what kind of documents need to be in place from day one. So I make sure that's in place. But some companies have incorporated, but have lousy documents. Uh, so we, we, we spend a lot of time making sure that works. I require that companies have an equity incentive plan or equity compensation plan, for example, so that they can um, issue restricted stock to a board of advisors if they want to do so, um, and so on. So that's the first step. The um, actual relationship is documented by a stock purchase agreement, whereby the accelerator purchases stock, in Boomtown's case, it's 6% of the common stock for $20,000. Um, and those, that agreement is, has some fairly standard terms. Sometimes we make adjustments for specific circumstances. We have companies from all over the world, as I mentioned, sometimes they, they are already, um, organized in, uh, other parts of the world. Um, we are either reincorporating them in the U S or making the, the foreign entities a subsidiary. There's a lot of different ways to structure that. Um, we always require that there is a team. We don't accept, and I don't think many of the accelerators accept a, a one-person company. We need to have a team so that there can, so that all the different areas can be covered. We we uh, we, we feel like that's very very important. Um, and um, they start in the accelerator. We go through a very intense initial two-week period, figuring out who their customer or client is, basically tearing the idea down, tearing the whatever they've done in the company down to its roots, and then rebuilding it. Uh, it's a real boot camp. It's the boot camp of the boot camp, really. And then from there, we, we go through uh, various phases of uh, different aspects of the, of the business, from design to legal aspects to talking about financing and and balance sheets and, and structures of uh, investment and so on. And then by the end, they're ready for um, pitch practice, learning how to pitch their idea, their business. And then they stand up in front of the, um, the investors on the demo day. In our and then Oh, sorry, in, the case, in the case of Boomtown, we have, um, we have a physical space where the investors all have desks and where they work on a daily basis. Uh, there are some accelerators that operate remotely. We have found that there's a tremendous amount of value that the, that the uh, founders receive from just having these sort of creative collisions with other founders. There's a lot of conversation that goes on, uh, one team overhearing another team's problems and, and uh, offering to pitch in and do things that they're capable of doing for the other team. So that's been great. We've, we also try to support the, uh, the teams on a personal basis. You know, we're dealing with um, typically a very uh, a low median age. You know, we have, in fact, in this current group of cohorts, we actually have a group of high school kids, 16-year-olds, I mean, like that, as well as on the other end of the spectrum, you know, people in their 40s and 50s. 
So we've got a, a very wide spectrum, but for the most part, it's you know, they're fairly young, and they need they need to be nurtured. Um, we have a, um, a refrigerator that we stock weekly with fruit and vegetables and and cheese and um, and uh, you know juices and things that we think are good for people, so that uh, they don't have to do what people think most startups do, which is to live on Red Bull and stay up all night. We're not, we're not in favor of that approach. Well, that's, that's probably smart. <laughs> you know, do the right things along the way so you don't have to do the, uh, the all-nighter. Um, not that uh, I always took that uh, advice when I was in school, but um, uh, probably, probably, <laughs> probably would have been better served for it. Uh, you know, just along those lines, that's really helpful to get a, a picture of what it actually looks like, because it's such a, in a lot of instances, it's like this black box that people don't know until they go through it and then they have nothing to compare it to once they do. And, uh, but it's good to demystify it. Um, yeah, and it is a black box. It's kind of a pressure cooker. We've had people take it out and, you know, uh, by ambulance. Uh, we've had people, I mean, we've had a lot of uh, very interesting situations people really have you know are coming to grips with a lot of things about their business and about themselves and um you know sometimes founders get together too soon and they don't know each other well enough and uh we've had founders leave in the middle and we've had to we've had to um provide advice about finding new founders Mm. Uh, and we've we've had to reach out sometimes and, and help in a search to bring the right people to the table so that the company could succeed. So there's a lot of things that go on that are not apparent. It's just not a simple it's not a simple case of a of a of a well-developed company that's going on a little bit of a retreat to learn a few things and sit in a sit in a classroom. It's a very, very intense and pro, uh, you know program uh, where they you know, the growth is, uh, is, is really accelerating. Well, you heard it here first. Uh, don't apply to an accelerator unless you are in tip-top physical shape uh, <laughs> and can withstand the strain. Along those lines, what are some other things that someone should think about as uh, sort of like a little, what would be your checklist for people to run through before they even thought of, of applying to an accelerator and, and specifically Boomtown? I guess first and foremost is do they do they feel like they are ready for it? Do they have a team that they believe in that they want to move forward in? And do they have the time to devote to this? You know, it's an intense three-month program. Uh, they need they need to really be able to drop out of whatever they're doing to pursue it. There are some accelerators that work from a distance where people keep their day jobs doing, you know, doing something else. Boomtown is not that way. And most other accelerators are not that way. They really require a a 100% uh, effort. Um, And there has to, I think that the people need to be uh, open to to learning. Uh, As I mentioned, we have had companies that have come into Boomtown with substantial revenues. And um, we've had some people think that uh, they were just going to figure out how to do a few things for their existing business. And by the end, because they were open, they, they had you know, turned it around. They'd gone 360 degrees in a different direction. 
Um, so that openness is very, very important. Interesting. That's really uh, that's really helpful because so many of these different uh, programs and investors are treated as if uh, they're all equal, or um, it's just about to focus on getting the capital so that uh, you could just go ahead. That that that's the salve that will solve everything. But if you don't have the right investor, or you are not ready to go through a program like that, so that you could even speak with, uh, with with the right investors or figure out who those are. You really want to be careful. And that's a big theme of this of this show is about giving people the information um, so that they can evaluate themselves and their own business, their own readiness, um, so that the capital is a tool for their business to grow and go where they want it to go uh, rather than the other way around, um, which often oftentimes it is. Um, that's really helpful. I think uh, if we could, you know, there's one question that we always like to ask among other than a number of questions, but this one uh, certainly, as you know, um, Jess and I are both involved with Child Rescue Association of North America. We're, we're passionate about it. No one's more passionate than Jess. Um, and we like to get, since we have the benefit of talking to all these successful uh, professionals like yourself, we like to get some different ideas from people. Um, do you have any thoughts uh, about approaches or ways that we might go about getting the word out or strengthening our voice or our cause um, around uh, protecting kids and saving kids? Um, I think that the more you talk about it and the more opportunities you have to talk about it, the better. You brought it into this program, which I think is great. And I think that wherever you have a forum and you can broach the subject, people will take to it um, and be interested in helping. Yep, that's that. That's helpful. You know, we're always trying to bring it into these kinds of conversations because you just don't know uh, what kind of perspective someone's going to bring to it. Or sometimes it's a contact. You know, sometimes sometimes somebody says, gee, you know, even a week later, two weeks later, says, gee, you know, uh, it'd be really great to team up with this guy. Um, what, is, what, has this. Been the, what has been the most effective way of, of of getting the word out and getting interest for you so far? Has it been well, this? Just show? take that one. You know, um, at Christmas time, we did a GoFundMe, or sorry, not, not GoFundMe, we did a um, Indiegogo campaign that raised $30,000 to help fund a uh, an undercover rescue mission. Um, right now, we've got quite a successful GoFundMe campaign that's helping to build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. And um, I think it's really been, somebody actually gets to meet a trafficking survivor or they get to see the video of a police officer who's done one of these rescues and it becomes personal instead of a statistic. And, and then we enlist someone like that to reach out personally to people they know about making something like this happen. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great, I think that's a great idea. You know, one, one of the things that you're doing there is giving, you know, there, there are a lot of people who are interested in giving back and doing some good. Um, and I think that even among startups, um, there are, you know, when you provide the opportunity, people will take to it. Most people don't realize that by just devoting a little bit of their, their energy and maybe sometimes a little bit of their profits, they can, they can make a world of good. Uh, they can make a, a world of difference. Um, in, in my case, as a lawyer, I have supported planting uh, trees as a way to 
um, make up for my extreme use of paper. I'm one of those that actually still prints out documents. I haven't been able to make the full transition to only dealing with, you know, digital versions. Um, and I've actually, um, we've talked at Boomtown a lot, the accelerator, about, about um, uh, encouraging participation in programs and finding programs that people can actually uh, feel like they're a part of, where they have an opportunity to give back. Um, there, there are, and, and I, you know, now that we're talking about it, and we we'll probably should talk about it uh, offline. Um, I think it's something that organizations like Boomtown are more and more interested in, um, and can can do something about in terms of getting their own constituents to um, earmark um, uh, both monies and time, uh, you know, promotion time. That's a really interesting idea. We should certainly uh, take that offline as well uh, uh, and, and get more of your thoughts on that. Wouldn't you say, Jess? Yeah, that's great. Appreciate the advice. And just appreciate you making time for us here today. I know we're kind of out of time, but uh, but it's great to get you know view from behind the curtain. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun for me too. Well, great. Why don't we wrap it up there and uh, you know links to Boomtown and... Um, if you want to connect to Jack, his his LinkedIn profile will all be on his page on iCollective.co. And uh, Jack, thanks again for making time for us. Thanks for the opportunity. Bye-bye. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue. Go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at The Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.